You're live with Get Connected. I'm Mike Agarbo here with John Beeler. We are Canada's number one tech radio program. We go across the country from Vancouver all the way to Toronto. I guess that's mostly the way across. But we reach the other parts through our podcast. That's right. That's right. We got a really cool show today. We're going to be talking about AI as we are doing almost every show now. It's just a, a story that is blowing up in the technology space. Artificial intelligence is infiltrating all aspects of tech, not only hardware products, but software, chat GPT, we've talked a lot about Microsoft's going to be building that into their Microsoft office. That's going to change it, the it, world. It's very interesting how this is all going to play out. The uh, text to image engines. Anyway, one of the stories, CNET, which for nerds is kind of like the CNN of tech news websites. Yeah. Well, it's been found out that they have been publishing articles that were written by artificial intelligence and not really fully disclosing that. No. <laughs> and they've been doing it for quite a while too. So over 75 articles. And these aren't just kind of rewrites or like fluffy pieces. They're like financial explainer videos or uh, financial explainer articles. Right. Which is interesting because you're having an AI bot explain a complex financial system or program. What could go wrong? Right. Well, actually, they probably would know better than we do. <laughs> but okay, but John, and we're going to dive into it. What does that foreshadow now? Uh, CNET doesn't have to hire as many writers. Yeah. Like, how do you develop writers? Because writers start off, they're not like expert writers right away. They take on copywriting jobs and yeah. to hone their, their craft. If you are letting all that go to AI, computers, like how do writers get better? How do you develop top-notch writers? You don't. Well, they become editors. <laughs> yeah. Because they have to edit the we're, AI. We're, we're at a, a time in society again, a transformational change due to technology. Yeah. Kind of like the Industrial Revolution. Yeah, it, well, it's going to be even more interesting once the next generation of these AI bots come out too, which is imminent. We're going to dive deeper into that. We'll also be talking about the latest Apple announcement. They didn't have a big event or anything. They just kind of stuffed out a few press releases, but there's some new MacBooks that are like incredibly powerful. We'll tell you what uh, they can do and the price tag. And the HomePod is back. That's their smart speaker. They discontinued it but now it's back and cheaper and can do more. And finally, we're going to be talking about Taiwanese tech as well. What type of technology they bring to the world. And I think it's an important story to look into, especially with all the stuff happening with China at the moment, all the geopolitical issues there. Let's talk about some of the tech news, John. There's rumors now, and I guess there are more than just rumors, that Google is going to get into the tracking device space. I think really based on how successful Apple has been. Well, it, it makes with air tags. Yeah, it, it makes sense because one of the the I guess the benefits of an air tag is you have this huge uh, installed base of users using iPhones that can communicate anonymously with the air tag to sort of automatically update its location. So, so just so listeners understand, if I put an air tag in my luggage, for example, which everyone's doing now. It's not like it's got a cell connection and a GPS built into that AirTag. It's using Bluetooth, ultra-wideband, 
and it's connecting with other Apple devices that are connected to the internet. So if a baggage handler happens to have an iPhone on them, it then that's the latest location of that AirTag. It doesn't know who that baggage handler is or their phone number, anything. It's all anonymous. Yeah. And if Google gets into this space, they have 3 billion Android devices that could potentially be part of this network. Even more powerful yeah. than Apple. Yeah. Because they have a wider market share worldwide. What I'd like to see is they all get along. So it doesn't matter. Yeah, which, why don't they have some s- standard? I know. So that I can be, I, you can have an AirTag or you can have a Google Tag, whatever they're going to call it. Um, and it doesn't matter what device you have. They just use the same protocol. I don't understand why Google didn't just buy Tile. Tile's kind of one of the leaders, original leaders in this space. They're Tile trackers. Yeah. And they make a whole bunch of different kind of formats of it, like little coin ones. They've got square ones. They've got ones that are like credit cards that fit in your wallet. It's super handy to have different form factors for this, depending on where you're putting this device. Of course, right? Yeah. Like, I'd like to have that credit card size that I could put in my luggage instead of... The AirTag is one one size, one shape. Yeah. Which is maybe a good thing too, right? Yeah. That's the Apple way. <laughs> yeah. So it's codename, apparently, Project Grogu. <laughs> after the Baby Yoda character from the Star Wars Mandalorian series. Yes. And so it's kind of more than a rumor because people are finding references to it in code, in right. Android code, right? Yeah. Software code. That, that coder could just be a Star Wars fan, though. <laughs> could be. Yeah. But it, it wouldn't be a surprise if they're developing this. No, it'd be a surprise if that's what the internal name is because Disney might have something to say about that. There's some interesting names on TikTok that I'm not going to say on air. <laughs> what people are thinking it's going to be. Yeah. It's, yeah. But it'll be interesting. So if they come out with that, they've got such a huge install base with Android devices. Will they open it up to any tracking device, that network? That's the, the question, right? Well, and that was the problem with Tile is you actually had to have the Tile app installed and you were relying on other Tile users having their app running in the background. That's the weakness. Yeah, whereas with the Apple AirTag, you don't need to have something running in the background. It's just the phones are just running in the background. They've, they've really made it completely seamless and, and not anything that you need to actually integrate or uh, access yourself. Another story that's kind of popping up now, a lot of angry people, a lot of angry Tesla purchasers who purchased their Tesla vehicle back in December have now discovered that Tesla has dramatically dropped the prices on some of their popular models, the Model 3 and the Model Y. Anywhere from 15 to 20,000 freaking dollars. And now they qualify for some of these rebates. So on the plus side, if you're in the market for a car now, an EV, it's great because Tesla's back in there because they they got priced out of the the rebate game. Yeah. So now if you're in provinces like British Columbia, uh, British Columbia, you can qualify for the federal rebate, which I think is 5,000. Yeah. And the British Columbia one is 4,000. Yeah. Quebec has something very similar. Yeah. Ontario, no, for whatever reason. Yeah, doesn't make any sense. But anyway, can you imagine buying a Tesla back in December and then finding out a month later you've lost like $15,000? Yeah. Like that's a lot. I can see maybe several thousand, 5,000, but $15,000? Did you see any reason why 
they would drop these prices? I think there's a lot of factors going on right now. I think the sales haven't been yeah. as great as where they'd like to go because Tesla has done an amazing job of ramping up their manufacturing. They are making these in the US. They've got a gigafactory in Germany. In China, they're killing it at the Shanghai factory. Like they are punching these cars out. So I think they've also overcome a lot of the supply chain issues. So yeah. they've, got, they've got inventory now. And they, they want to be able to um, qualify for the U.S. federal EV rebates. I think, is that $7,500 down there? Yeah. It's, it's significant. Yeah. yeah. So by lowering the price, they qualify for the U.S. rebate. And if they lower the price there, they have to lower it in other countries. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. But I guess the, the outcome there is more volume because they'll sell more because more people will take advantage of this deal. And especially with all these other companies having still some supply chain issues and getting their vehicles into the market. Yeah, that's the thing though. Like, because, you know, my daughter is in the market for a car and I'm just like trying to do the math with an EV, save money on the gas aspect. There's still, the problem is they're still priced too high. Do you know what I mean? Like yeah. you're looking at $50,000 yeah. for a full electric vehicle by the time the dust clears, at least. So that's kind of up there. But all these other companies, they, they there's no inventory. Like yeah. Tesla now, you could get, from what I'm understanding, uh, a car much quicker, like in, in the space of a couple months. I've heard weeks. Yeah. Yeah. Well, they said on the website February yeah. when I was like yeah. building one. So, yeah. that <laughs> like, I would lose my mind. And then I'm thinking of all the used cars. I don't know if you've looked on car dealership lots lately. A lot of these car dealerships non-Tesla ones, they've been, they've been buying the used ones out because they know that they can mark the hell of them, mark the hell out of them up yeah. and make some money on them because they're so in demand. But if the retail price on a brand new one is... Yeah, yeah. so if the retail price has dropped, let's say $15,000, there's not enough markup like on those cars. No. They must be taking a bath on them. So I don't know if Tesla's going to do anything about that. Okay, we are going to have to take a break. When we come back, still a lot to talk about. New Apple gear, Taiwanese tech, and how that's all related to the whole China geopolitical situation right now. And CNET, major tech website using AI to publish articles without people knowing that it was done by AI. You're listening Get Connected here on the Chorus Radio Network. Back after this. You're back with Get Connected. Mike Agarbo here with John Beeler. AI, it is a huge story. There's so many different tools coming out now that can generate just any kind of content that you can think. Even written content, essays, stories, blogs, poems, songs, code. One that we're talking a lot about is ChatGPT. Well, there's a story that's come out about CNET, a major tech web publication. I use it a lot, John to get the latest tech news. Yeah, me too. A lot too. of product reviews there. Well, it's come out that 75, at least 75 stories, and these were apparently like financial explainer articles, were written by AI, not humans. And so a lot of people are up in arms about that, especially journalists. Yeah. So, but you got to start looking at some of the predictions now, John. Experts are predicting that 90%, 90% of online content will be AI generated by 2026. 
three years from now, they're predicting the majority of content will be done by computers. What does that mean for writers? It, that is a transformational number. Well, it means the writers, like I said off the top, won't be writers anymore. They'll become either editors or prompt writers for these AI systems. We're looking at a transformation so vast in scale, like remember when digital photography came out and digital music, how that transformed those industries? It took years. Yeah. I think it's going to be faster in I, this case. I would think so because there's there's less going on with written text than there is with f video or photography or um or music uh and the thing is these systems can be trained very well to speak in a very specific voice on a specific topic and it sounds authoritative kind of like us <laughs> so the challenge now is what do you believe well, like how accurate is this AI generated content? But that's one of the things that we've discovered when we've been playing with this stuff is it's not always accurate. No, but it's written in such a way that it, it has a certain, um, uh, a certain amount of confidence in what it's saying in the text that you believe it's the right answer. So this is going to be a huge engine for disinformation campaigns. Again, I come back. Okay, so <laughs> Pandora's box has been opened. Yeah. It's, there's you, you can't shut that. No. So there's the one aspect of disinformation. God help us. Like who is monitoring and policing that? I hate using the word policing, but keeping on top of that. Yeah. And then just jobs for journalists, for writers in general. The, the other concern that a lot of people have with this becoming our future is the biases that are built into these systems based on how they were trained. If you show a child a whole bunch of you know horror movies, they're going to become a horror film fan and that's going to be their bias. Same thing with these engines. If you show them a lot of, say, really bad uh, world events, they're going to have a very dark view of what human life is like when they're writing about it. So it's interesting. We're talking about the CNET story, big, huge tech website using AI to generate articles for their website. And so a lot of journalists and media watchdogs are upset because they were pushed out under the byline of CNET money staff, kind of implying that humans were somehow involved. Yeah, and we don't know how much involvement an editor actually had with this because presumably someone actually read it before they just copied and pasted it onto the web. But again, it's really hard to tell because these systems have gotten so well at sounding authoritative in a specific voice with a little bit of humor. Like you can do a lot of different interesting things with it just by the way you write your prompts for these systems. So there's other media outlets like the Associated Press, LA Times, that really make sure they label the author as a bot or they bookend the article basically saying that AI was involved with yeah. creating it. I think that's important. D disclosure is always important mm -hmm. because that also lets you know if there was uh, a financial contribution, like a sponsored post and uh, other things like that. So you should always know the source and uh, good news outlets will always disclose any 
anything so they can maintain their transparency. So there's no question that as humans, we're always going to use tools to make our lives easier, more convenient. So it's going to be used. Yes. What kind of job loss do you think we're looking at here? I don't know. And it, where? It's it's too early to say because I think it might be more of a job transformation than than straight up loss. Maybe freelance writers will be less utilized. Staff writers, they'll have less of them because they'll be able to use these tools to sort of sound like five different voices in writers, but it's only one person sort of uh, behind the curtain to use a Wizard of Oz reference. But, I can, you know, as a journalist now, say, for example, you're writing for a website or a print publication, you could basically use an AI tool like a chat GPT and input, write an article about Ukraine invasion, what's happening right now in Kiev, and give it a bunch of details, like yeah. bullet points, yeah. and it could spit out the entire article, yeah. which would take... Seconds. Seconds. Yeah. And then they basically proof it to make sure the details are correct. Yeah. And so is a human involved at that point? Well, yes. there's an editor. Mm -hmm. There should always be an editor, someone that's overseeing all the writers. Whether the writers are humans or bots doesn't really matter. We're going to follow up on this story in coming uh, episodes. When we come back, still a lot more to talk about here on Get Connected, including new Apple gear. We'll tell you all about it. Listen to Get Connected. Back after this. You're back with Get Connected. Mike Agarbo here with John Beeler. Apple announced uh, a slew of uh, new updates to products, some new MacBooks. Uh, also bringing back the HomePod. We're going to kind of go through some of the the changes there. John, HomePod was discontinued in 2021. They came out with the HomePod Mini, which was like obviously a mini version of it that they're still stocking and, and selling. But they brought the larger HomePod back. It's going to be cheaper, $50 less. Okay. And they're turning on a, a secret feature that I guess will also be built into the HomePod on the HomePod Minis that I didn't know they had. It wasn't activated. Uh, temperature and humidity sensors. So fun fact about a lot of these system on the chips that are powering a lot of the technology we have nowadays, a lot of them have these kinds of sensors built in. Uh, it, it, it's whether it's up to the, you know, the company creating the software, whether they're going to turn that on or not, but it sort of comes with these chips and it's just, it's sometimes it's used to, to main, you know, maintain uh, or monitor the temperature of these devices to make sure they don't overheat. But, you know, it can also be used to see how warm your house is. So that's, they're smart speakers. They're kind of like an Amazon Echo or a Google Home Assistant. Yeah. And so I guess the idea there is because it's a smart assistant with that temperature sensor, it will know in the room that, oh, it's too cold in here. And if it's connected with your thermostat, it could automatically turn the thermostat up in if theory. that's what you want. Yeah, yeah, in theory, for sure. But you have to have the appropriate smart devices to do that it yeah it, the home pod is kind of an interesting product for me john like i really appreciate the design i love it i like that they have the two sizes as well but you know what is the future of that device like they're competing against or maybe they don't care that they're competing against amazon and google well i think there's lots of people out there that either prefer one smart uh home infrastructure over another 
Some people don't like Amazon or Google. They're all in on, on the Apple, but some people are all in on the Google. So it, I think it just gives people more choice. And it'll be interesting to see how Apple continues to use this platform. I mean, a lot of people like it because it has direct access to Siri and everything else that, you know, if you're in an Apple... Part of the Apple ecosystem. Right. But I think the reality is most houses are probably a mix. There's going to be someone in your house that has an Android phone that doesn't use Siri, doesn't, you know, those types of things. But that's that new standard matter, which we've talked about in previous show, is a new home networking, smart home networking standard that even Apple is adhering to. So the dream is that you get a HomePod, you got some Amazon stuff, you got some uh, Roombas that they're all talking together. Right. That's the dream. And it sounds like we might be getting pretty close to that coming to fruition. I do like the HomePods, the minis, like the different colors they come in. Um, they just look like little candles that sit in the corner. I know, but they're, they're cool. Yeah. Sure. They just look less techy. Yeah. I mean, arguably they look very similar to the Google minis or the, Oh yeah. I guess the Amazon, Amazon's come out with the little orbs yeah. as well. Yeah. And there's a million different shapes of the uh, Amazon smart speakers as well. Okay, let's talk about the MacBooks. They have uh, done some major updates there. Apple, they're making their own processors now. So they're, they're kind of like an Intel, but for themselves. So their, their latest chips are like the M1s and M2s. That's how they're kind of naming them. And so they've got different versions. So the M2, the more powerful ones, they've got an M2 Pro and an M2 Max. And so they've just released some new MacBooks that without take advantage. A, without a lot this. of fanfare. No. They didn't have a big event or anything like that. Um, Do you think it justified a big event? Probably not because, you know, they were, I watched the video, there's a 20 minute video you can watch that sort of goes through what the differences are if it's important to you. Uh, and they go into a lot of detail about comparing the M2 chipsets to the similar MacBooks with M1 chipsets, M1 or uh, M1 Pro or M1 Max. I have an M1 Pro MacBook that I Pro that I love. Uh, it's just over a year old now, and it makes sense that they would have these next ones. The the sort of the surprise there, there's two things that sort of surprise me about this particular update though. One is that the improvements are incremental. It it really seems to matter what you're doing specifically if you're going to see these huge jumps in performance performance, gains. Yeah. Right. Um, if you're surfing the web, no, no, you're not going to notice a big difference. And they also have Mac minis that have these in them as well. And they've actually discontinued the lower end M one and Intel based Mac mini. So you can only get an M two Mac mini now. Uh, But what surprised me about these new MacBooks when I got mine last year was the all day battery life is fantastic. Like I can just unplug. And when I'm not doing anything else like video editing and just using it for, for work purposes, I can go all day and I get home and I still have 60 or 70% of my battery. Yeah. So I, I use a few different laptops, John. Yeah. And so the one I have at work, what I do is I kind of keep laptops in different locations. You don't cart anything around. No, because everything's in the cloud now, which is great. Yeah. So I have a Mac. The Mac is great with battery life. It always has been. Yeah. So I've got two Windows laptops, uh, a Huawei one and an HP one. And the HP one I have at work here, I love it. It's white and beautiful, but it's several years old now. And the battery lasts for like an hour and a half, two hours. If you're lucky. If I'm lucky. It drives me crazy. So on the new M2 chipsets, they're they're promising up to 22 hours of battery life. That is insane. Yeah. That was what actually impressed me the most about this announcement. 
was that? I mean, real world, hard to say. Yeah, but still, you're not worrying about plugging that thing in. No. So who are these aimed for? Like you were saying, this isn't just for like an ordinary, of course, if you're an ordinary user and you just want something that's going to last for a long, long time. Yeah. Definitely. But it's aimed at, I guess, more graphics and video content creators, animators. Certainly the Pro and the Max are is more for those types of folks. Um, they also have M2 uh, MacBook Airs that, that have been out for a little while now. And those, you know, again, are perfect for the average person. Uh, the average user, I should say, not person, because anybody could use these. But um, but yeah, these, the, I mean, these also aren't inexpensive. These laptops are thousands of dollars, and they only go up depending on how much RAM and uh, storage you add to that, let alone, uh, you know, all the accessories you're going to have to buy. If you've never had a MacBook Pro before, you're going to have to get some dongles and adapters and those kinds of things too. So, um, so John, you have a, a MacBook M1 Pro. Correct. Do you want to sell it and get the new one? No. No. You're good. I'm good. Yeah. Because you're not animating for the new Marvel movie. Not not today. Not, <laughs> it's, it's on your dream board. <laughs> sure. Okay. We're going to have to take a break. When we come back, we're going to talk Taiwan tech. Some interesting uh, stories coming out of that country. Listen, Get Connected. You're on the Chorus Radio Network. Back after this. You are back with Get Connected with Mike Agarbo and John Beeler live across Canada. We've got a really uh, cool guest uh, on the line. Her name is Angel Liu. She is the Director General of uh, Taipei, Taipei Economic and Cultural Office here in Vancouver. Thanks for joining us, uh, Angel. Hi, uh, Mike and John. Uh, it's my pleasure to uh, join your program. Uh, so over the past, uh, I think, month or so, uh, we've actually done a, a series of um, episodes or uh, segments on uh, Taiwan and just kind of the, uh, the major impact they've had on the, the technology scene, just how much technology in innovation is happening uh, in that country. And from my understanding, you were based here in Vancouver, Canada. Uh, like what, is your, what does your role consist of? Uh, actually, our office is functioning uh, like a consulate for Taiwan's foreign ministry uh, in Vancouver, Western Canada of Canada. Uh, actually, we have another embassy, which is called Taipei Economic Cultural Office in Ottawa in Canada, um, uh, in the East Coast, and another one in Toronto. So in total, we have three offices, but we are going to have another new one in Montreal. So in total, we are going to have four representations in Canada. This is, I mean, why so much, um, so many resources from Taiwan here in, in Canada? Like how, how much, um, I guess, is happening between our two countries when it comes to technology? Yeah, I just watched your show on Taiwan's technology you mentioned. Until then, I realized that the mass dumper in Taipei 101 is actually designed by an Ontario engineering company. And I realized that how popular the giant bicycles made in Taiwan are uh, in, in the Canadian sports market. And given all what we have um, witness, um, there are huge potential for Taiwanese and Canadian firms to work together to advance new technologies and create profits for both countries. For example, uh, some uh, good examples is uh, the sweaters manufactured by Montreal's Frank and Oak are actually made with 
sea wool, uh, which is an innovative textile derived from recycled oyster shells and plastic bottles. And the fabric was designed by Taiwan-based Hans Global. And according to the designers at the company, one kilogram of sea wool is equivalent to recycling 60 plastic bottles. Another example is the Lululemon. Uh, Lululemon is a very popular sportswear brand in Canada, and now it is working with Taiwan's far eastern new century to develop a next generation of fabric for its sportswear, which will be made from recycled carbon emissions. And Far Eastern will be playing a pivotal role in the conversion of ethanol to polyester. This is just two examples in the smart textile industry. Maybe I can elaborate, elaborate more in other renewable energy. So, sorry, uh, renewable energy, what, what are you folks doing there? Uh, for example, um, just this past October, uh, the Vancouver-based Damon Motorcycles signed an agreement with Taiwan's Xinbang Electronics to jointly develop the electrical assembly that is central to Damon's line of electric motorcycles. And uh, similarly, Taiwan's tech giant Foxconn has uh, signed an MOU with MyTech um, to jointly develop electric vehicle software and human machine interfaces. Uh, apart from these, uh, we call it e-mobility, Taiwanese and Canadians are also working jointly to make our everyday life more convenient. For example, do you know uh, the batteries in some of the top selling Dyson vacuum cleaners in Canada are actually a Taiwanese Canadian success story? The highly efficient batteries are made by Iwamoli Energy, which is a BC subsidiary of the Taiwan Cement Corporation. So my vacuum is run by a, a Taiwanese Canadian <laughs> company. <laughs> no, that I mean that's fascinating. I mean, when you look at technology and just even like consumer electronics products, like like vacuums, there's so many different components that go into them. I don't think people realize where all of that stuff uh, really uh, really comes from. Right, right. So uh, until we try to. Uh, discover it. We don't know Taiwanese uh, electronics or uh, parts uh, company actually are so important to be component of an electric vehicle such as Tesla. Take this for example, um, the um, Heda Industrial Manufacturing in Taiwan and TSMC, which is the leading semiconductor producer in the world. Uh, Taiwan provides 75% of automotive components for Tesla and 92% um, of the most advanced semiconductor chips which power vehicles, smartphones, and most of the gadgets that we use are actually made by a Taiwanese company. I have a Tesla. I didn't know there was so much of Taiwan <laughs> in it. That is, uh, that is uh, fascinating to know. So uh, what what is... What is the advantage of Canadian companies partnering with Taiwan as opposed to, I mean, obviously there's a lot of competition over in that area, you know, between China, Japan, Korea, Vietnam. Why Taiwan? Um, I think uh, Taiwanese companies are 
not only in Taiwan. They are all over the world. They are in Asia Pacific, in Southeast Asia, also in North America. And why they are in Canada, why they are in uh, the United States, because they want to explore the North American market, uh, which is a huge potential area for the uh, EV car and the renewable industry to explore. Uh, as you can see, the global supply chain is such uh, in a short supply, a short shortage of supply um, after the pandemic. So uh, the semiconductor chips play an important role in the global supply chain. And uh, that's why these companies are um, rushing to establish their new locations here in Canada. What's next for Taiwan then? Like, where, where do you, you know, where do you guys see going next then to, to expand some of the, the technologies that you guys are doing? Uh, as you mentioned, uh, why Taiwan? And Taiwanese actually not only working hard and we have um, very comprehensive uh, laws protecting foreign investment and uh, we abide by the high standards set by the rules-based international order and uh, we are looking forward to forge a closer trade and economic ties with Canada by a bilateral foreign investment uh, agreement, uh, which is uh, hopefully to be under negotiation in the new year. And also we are looking forward to having Canadian government support for Taiwan's uh, accession into a, a multilateral free trade agreement in the Asia Pacific, which is called CPTPP. Uh, this is the high standard multilateral free trade agreement and uh, Taiwan government has amended all its relevant statutes to abide by the laws of this multilateral free trade agreement. And uh, it will be a prosperous um, potential uh, market for uh, these countries to have Taiwan joining it as a member country. We're talking with uh, Angel Liu. She is a director general of the Taipei, Taipei Economic and Cultural Office in Vancouver. Uh, they have offices uh, Toronto, Ottawa, and soon in Montreal. I want to thank you for joining us today. This has been a fascinating conversation. Thank you, uh, Mike and John, for inviting me. And we are looking forward to uh, have more conversation in the future. When we come back from the break, more tech to talk. Stay tuned here on Get Connected. You are back with Get Connected. Mike and John here. Don't forget to listen to our sister show, The App Show. It's on every Sunday across the Chorus Radio Network. We've got a great program uh, coming up uh, tomorrow. Uh, the App Show, again, covers all the latest in uh, mobile and tech news. Uh, we will be talking about Facebook. They're suing a company called Voyager Labs. And this is kind of something that I think listeners should know about. This, this company, Voyager Labs, uh, created 60,000 fake Facebook accounts. I don't even know how you do that, John. Robots. Uh, yeah, an incredible amount. And then use those to scrape the information from 600,000 Facebook accounts. Why, you ask? Well, Voyager Labs is a surveillance company that uses that data. They sell it back to uh, law enforcement agencies to predict criminal activity. <laughs> so, John, maybe I can predict when you're going to knock over that 7-Eleven. Yes. Although they used a criminal activity to prevent criminal activity that's the idea yeah some say not that accurate but anyway we'll be exploring that story we'll also be talking about uh, cell phone data rates again canada being too expensive 
I, I know we've covered that story, but John, you've got a, an interesting uh, story about uh, finding a good deal in the U.S. for when you go down there from Mint Mobile. And uh, we will also be talking about buyer beware. You see all these great ads on Facebook and Instagram for stuff. Well, we'll tell you some, uh, some tips on how not to get scammed. Mike and John signing off. We'll see you again next time.